How many of you know what a powder keg is in, in description? If I say that's a powder keg, what would you say that was? Just sort of give me some answers there. It's a it's an explosive, maybe it's an explosive situation, right? Volatile. Yes. Well, we're gonna talk about Jesus talking in communion this morning. And the leaders are afraid of the people. And I want to talk to you about a powder keg that is Jerusalem in the first century at Passover. So if you can imagine in a medieval town without porta-potties and public restrooms and all those things, and maybe not enough hotel, two and a half million extra people in town. That's what this... About two, maybe two, two and a half, something like that. But the, the town has swollen, and there is not enough room for anything. And if you'll remember that, that, that they also have this tendency to be mad that Rome is in charge. And Rome doesn't like it when you're mad at them. They fix that. And so Jerusalem is a bit of a powder keg. Now let's read the text. The festival of unleavened bread, which is also called Passover, was approaching, and the leading priests and people of religious law were plotting on how to kill Jesus, but they were afraid of the people's reaction. They're sitting on a couple of powder kegs, all with the fuses all ready to light. Because in the same way that just a few discussions ago, they were saying, If we tell them that John the Baptist was not a prophet, the people will riot. If we tell them that John was a prophet, then he'll say, why didn't you listen? Because they didn't. Now we're in the next situation. This is important, though. This next line seems like it's a bit of a non sequitur or not a smooth thing. At that moment, or then, Satan entered Judas Iscariot. I want to make make it a point to say that, that we do indeed have a spiritual battle. Most of us don't live in the world in such a way that we recognize that there are spiritual battles around us. And it's not quite the same as when we have like health battles because those are always present in us. You know, if something hurts bad, it reminds you consistently, doesn't it? In the same way that if you hit your thumb with a hammer, the rest of your body gives mercy to your thumb as you jump around and hold it tightly. But then later when your thumbnail turns black and falls off, you're still remembering that pain. And even then it still hurts, doesn't it? Have any of you had that where your thumbnail fell off or something like that because you hit it, you gave it a good whack? Well, sometimes life gives us all sorts of whacks, but we remember the bodily problems that we have. And we also remember sometimes really easily that community that communities we live in have problems don't don't we that we that people say bad things about other people sometimes they say those things about us have you ever had somebody talk about you and you didn't it wasn't really true but you didn't have any way to fix it yeah community problems so bodily problems remind you, and community problems remind you because it's always before you and all that. But spiritual problems are just as real, even if they're not always as memorable or always as perceptible. I like that language better. 
Satan entered Judas. Why is it a big deal? Because Judas is a human being and Jesus is a human being, but there is more going on than you can possibly imagine. Jesus is bigger than just a guy hanging around in Jerusalem. He's more important than that. And the battle is not just flesh and blood. There is also a spiritual battle. Who is one of the 12? And he went to the leading priests and the captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus. This is kind of the way the world does it. Let's all figure out how the best of this works for us and we can get the advantage. That's not actually the way that God works so much. We can set up and strategize and all that. Matter of fact, there is a whole board within our denomination called the Board of Congregational Development. Did you know that? There's a whole bunch of people thinking, how can we develop congregations? And they have these sort of set guidelines of these are the things you do when this happens, and these are the things that you do when this happens, and, and everything. And this is what I feel about this. One church I was in had an outside expert come in and say, how do we get healthy? And he went in and he said to them, well, you have to become a church of 100 as fast as you possibly can. Well, that's great except they were in a town of 500 people, right? Demographically, 100 people was highly unlikely. And what they heard wasn't from the Lord. What they heard was, oh, it's not possible for us to be healthy because we can't get to 100. All these little rules in congregational development all depend on one thing, the spirit of the Lord's involvement. And so we can follow the rules and it won't work. But we can follow the Lord and health can come. I just want to make sure we say that, that just as we have a body and a community, we have a spirit that is involved in our daily lives. Okay, here we are. Back to the stuff. Anyway, they were delighted when Judas came, and, and they promised to give him money. And so they ag began agreeing and looking for an opportunity that they could arrest him. I'm going to skip a little text here because I'm reading a bunch today. Then Jesus takes them to, to the place where they're going to do the Passover meal, and he says, when it came time, Jesus and the apostles sat down at the table, and Jesus said, I have been eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. This is prophecy, right? He knows it's happening. He's saying it's going to happen. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning, what this means, is actually fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Well, the whole point of the Passover meal is to remember that God has done this great work in their life, but that's not the complete work. So I want to make sure that you hear this with that tone. If you've, been, if you've got a tradition, and we have a tradition in our country that we've done on the 4th of July for years and years and years, right? That we shoot off fireworks or we celebrate and all this stuff. But what if the celebration of freedom that we had on 4th of July was saying, this is, this is to celebrate the beginning of the freedom, but you don't have it yet. That's what the Passover is doing. You've got the beginnings of freedom, but you don't have the full thing yet. And Jesus is saying specifically right in this spot, 
I'm not going to eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled. Not only will this meaning mean peace to, meal mean peace to you, but it will be real, permanent peace. It's not just a little change to the to the little dogma of the day. Then he took the cup of wine and he gave thanks to it for God. Thanks to God for it. And he said, take this and share it amongst yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. Then he took the bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now I want to make sure, and I don't... And I'm not being simplistic or crass about this, so if it offends you, I'm not trying to do this. But communion is juice and bread. Very simple things. And you've heard me say this. I hope that when you come forward, whoever's handing you the the bread today gives you a great big hunk of Jesus. And you can dip it in there and just take him into your life in the proportion of what you, way more like an exponent on the size of it. And he just takes over and is in charge of your life. But if you don't know Jesus and you're not a truster of him, and by truster I mean you have put your faith in him and you put your trust in that he has a hope and a future for you, right? Because that's what disciples are, is they are trusters of Jesus and God then it is really just bread and juice. Very simple elements to do this. After supper, he took another cup of wine, and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which will be poured out as a sacrifice for you. Now remember, we hear this all the time. This is his blood poured out for the remission of sins. He's saying it, and it hasn't happened yet. He's telling them. Have you ever wondered, sometimes the Bible tells you to do things, or maybe God's Spirit, and you're praying, and, and you get sort of direction, and you don't know what's going on, and you're, and you're kind of left up to interpret why you should do it or not? This is one of those spots where God says, you don't get to interpret this. I'm telling you what it means. That's pretty cool. I love the spots where God says, you'll get this wrong if you're left on it on your own, so I'm going to tell you what to say and what it is. This is my blood, which confirms the new covenant. This is my body given for you. Don't reinterpret it into all your old fanatical things. This is your Rosetta Stone for this. But here at this table, sitting amongst us is a friend as a friend, is a man who will betray me. Right in the middle of the powder keg, right in the middle of this thing, right in the middle of the difference between the way the world does things and the way that God does things, disunity sort of shows up. And I want to talk a little bit about this because it's a great, big, huge, massive deal in the Christian life. And as soon as the, he left, this is what the, can you, do you know what the disciples did? They say, oh, I'm so glad he left. No, they don't say that. They say, they began to argue with each other about 
which one of them would ever do such a thing. And then they begin to argue about which one of them is better than the other ones. I don't know any way to break unity ever than to start saying, well, I'm better than you. The unity is gone. The way we do it is better than the way they do it. The way, look, we don't do anything if Ephesians 2.10 is correct in Christ, except that it's already been set forward for us to do it. And so do we do it better? Possibly. But who's in charge of whether we do it better or not? The Lord who set the goals in front of us and set the projects in front of us. Why am I harping on the meaning of communion this way? Because there's one thing that is simply more important than any other aspect of communion, than any of the methodology or anything like this, and it goes like this. The unity of the body of Christ is the witness that God sent us. And the world, and by the definition of the world, I will say, a system organized to work against God. Some of you have seen that machine sort of at work in your life, haven't you? Where it just seems like it's working to make sure that you don't see God and that, that you don't reach out to him. And if there's help coming from God, that it's just worked out there to belittle that and, and those that, that, that need to hold on to that. And I tell you that hope is a rope in your life and you need to exercise your faith muscles and just hold on at times. But unity, and why is unity such a big deal? Let me flip over to Philippians 2. This is why unity and the breaking of the unity by Judas in amongst the disciples, and then suddenly they're arguing that the unity is so fragile and so important, it goes like this. This is why it's a big deal. Is there any encouragement in Christ? Let me stop right there. Have any of you ever been encouraged by Christ or the idea that Christ might be fighting for you or looking for you or helping for you or on your side? Is there any encouragement at all in that? Okay. Any comfort in knowing that he's got your back? That he's got a future and a hope for you? Okay. From any love... Is there any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy that has started to grow up in your life and started to change the way you view other people? Is there any of that? Okay, good. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition and conceit. By the way, that takes care of the, well, I'm better than you right? If I'm not, I'm not better than you. I need a savior too. Still. You know, that's the thing about being human is once you need a savior, you still need him because he's not done yet. I was just talking about this with my wife the other day. How many of you remember the buttons? I remember when my dad got a button that said, please be patient with me. God's not finished with me yet. That was... That might have even been the slogan of the day. I don't know. I was a kid, but that was going on. Okay, so back into this text. Don't do anything this way, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
right? So if there's any love that's been expressed to you, any comfort you've heard, start looking to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, that's a promise. This mind is yours in Christ Jesus. That's kind of cool, isn't it? You could be this way. It's a promise that it's there. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God as something he should hang on to and grasp at. Now, some of us go, well, if I were God, I would make sure it was done this way and blah, 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 and I would keep to my rights. That's exactly what he did not do. I'm God. I don't have to do this. It's not fair. It's the way it is. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in the form, he humbled himself beyond becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is what the mind of Christ begins to do in us, is we get this love and perseverance that sort of fills into our life, and then we start to think of others as important. Before Christ is in our life, we never did that. They were only important for what they brought to us. Because, you know, well, I don't, I don't know if that was going on in your life, but that was going on in my life, right? Everybody around me was only good as far as what they did or didn't do for me because, you know, I was the center of the world. But that is not the mind of Christ, and there is no unity, and there is no community in that at all. But if I were to take that just the next step into John 17, where Jesus is praying for his disciples, this is how big a deal unity is. My highlight is not coming up. Where am I supposed to read? There it is. This is Jesus praying. I do not ask for these only. I'm not asking for just these five here in the pew. I'm not asking for just this room. I'm asking for everybody in Christ. That means, by the way, he's asking, he's asking in prayer for the people of the other churches in town and the other towns that have churches and all those that have believed and all those that do believe and all those who will believe. That's a big group, right? He's not, he's very inclusive. This body of Christ is not just individual. It's not just in your heart, but it's also communal. It starts to reach out into the community like this. I don't ask for only these, but also for those who believed in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world, remember, a system organized against God, the world might believe that you sent me. What does unity do? It proves God sent Jesus. Why does it do that? Have you ever wondered why unity or community does that? Because the whole world breaks community. Everybody does it. If I get mad at you and I throw you away, by the way, that's what you do when you get mad at somebody and you say, I'm not going to talk to them. I'm giving them the silent treatment from now on. That's breaking community. 
I don't like them. They call me names. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. What's the glory that God has given Jesus that he also gave us? Well, we might, does anybody have the answer to that? What's the glory God gave us that God gave Jesus that he gave to us? Anyone? The Spirit, right? You might think that it was specific giftednesses of the Spirit, but when you read the Bible, you had better figure out that the gift of God is the Holy Spirit in you, which protects you, which keeps you safe, which strengthens you, which gives you the strength in your hands to hold on to that rope called hope that you need in your life to remember that God has made you into part of his people, that he is building a future for you, and he's got it on in control. He's Lord. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. What's our unity worth? Everything. Have you noticed that Christians have had kind of a rough go at having a strength of witness and everything like that in their world this, in the last maybe 12, 1300 years? I know some of you haven't been around long enough to notice that. <laughs> but the lack of unified witness comes out like this. When I'm talking to somebody out in the world and they say this, they say, what do you mean you love me? You guys don't even like each other. And the witness is just gone like smoke. Communion is the thing that God pours into us where we remember what happens to us in our bodies, right? Something has happened to you when you come and you trust in Jesus. It's not the same as it ever will be again. You have been changed. Your paradigm has been shifted. You are the new way to be human. Christ in you. But it's not just an individualized sport, is it? It's a team sport. We work together, and it begins to reach out to us, and communion, which says, I have forgiven you, this is my body given for you, is also his body given for somebody else that hasn't heard yet and needs us. And his blood, which cleanses us individually, also cleanses the person who's talking smack about you. And forgiveness, it's a hard road, worth every penny. Is everything we do in Christ peaches and cream? No. Is it worth it? Oh, yeah. Unity. And so when we come to the table this morning, I want you to remember that there are powder kegs all over the world. There are little spots that are all just set to just blow up and make you hurt and, and, and hurt those you love and do all that. But there is one way to diffuse a powder keg. Are you ready? Love them as God loved Jesus and Jesus loved you. Does that, is that a way of ease and, and just it's going to be so easy it's just going to work right off? No. It is not one of those ways because you're in Jesus 
And what did they do to Jesus? And if you're going to be like him, it might not be as fun as you were hoping for. But will it be worth it? Yeah. The meaning of communion has all sorts of things because mystery, mystery is not something that you can never understand. Mystery is something you can begin to understand and spend the rest of your life understanding more and more about. And communion is one of those things. Is it juice and bread? Yes. Is it one of these things we do to understand that we come to God because he is working in our lives and we know we need sustenance? Yes. Is it more than that? Oh, yeah. Will we all see it the same way? Nope. Why? Because we're different than each other. And God is custom to you. Custom. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as we come together this morning to celebrate communion in the next few moments, will you help us know that what we do is bigger than what we understand? And help us live in that tension. Help us live and love and be your people who then start to pay prices 